Okay, hello there and welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico and joining me is... Scotty Hertz. Adam, I'm wondering, are you going to do the uh, Barbieheimer thing this week and then... <laughs> that'll then that'll be it right like no more films or not necessarily it's the end of cinema barbieheimer it's yes. it's it's never going to get any better than this i don't think so <laughs> <laughs> i don't know that's the question it's uh it's going to depend on timing and things i mean it's like a two-hour barbie movie and a three-hour oppenheimer movie so that's like that's a good solid five-hour stretch that going to be tough to coordinate but uh you'll be weeping at the end either way right <laughs> that's right <laughs> all the barbieheimer memes are killing me i'm loving it it's uh mm-hmm. it's nice that people are excited about something for a change yeah. and instead of angry about movies which seems to be the default <laughs> anyway <laughs> Open Sources is CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show, and you can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world, and we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians, which this week will be Ken Yi Chu, the Ward 6 City Councilor, who's going to tell us all about how City Council is currently dealing with the housing crisis here in Guelph and other bits of unfinished business before Council rises for the summer. That is going to be in the bottom half of the hour. Before that, we're going to talk about a few news items from the last week, including anti-Semitism. Yes, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. surely made his namesake roll over in his grave this week by suggesting that COVID-19 was ethnic biowarfare. So, you know, might this finally be enough to get us to ignore Robert F. Kennedy for good? I don't don't know what's going to... I doubt it. But anyway, Uh, first crisis that's a little bit closer to home and a little more tangible. Uh, this has been kind of in the works for a while, although it's kind of been making news, especially in the last week. It's been tough to ignore, and, and uh, community groups in Toronto and the refugees who have been sort of left to fend for themselves outside this Peter Street uh, intake office have gotten organized to raise attention to the fact that, you know, 30-some-odd people were living outside a federal office in downtown Toronto essentially waiting for, well, to receive uh, immigration services. These are asylum seekers. Uh, A lot of back and forth confusion about who's responsible for what, at what levels of government. Uh, In the meantime, you have people sleeping on the street. Um, Hot, you know, been some pretty hot days lately. A lot of torrents of rain. Uh, Pretty much all weather types. Um, And, you know, we can chuckle, of course, but uh, the, the the plight is quite serious, and this week it seems that there's finally been some action. Although I, I'm not sure how how long term that action is going to be. Mayor Olivia Chow is saying they need about 157 million dollars uh, to to um, I guess makes make some permanent changes to um, handle the influx of people. The federal government has promised 97 million dollars out of. 210 uh the 97 is earmarked for uh, toronto specifically but uh it has put a serious crimp in this idea of uh canada as a safe haven for refugees since it doesn't seem we're very good at organizing people once they get here 
Yeah, and Toronto being a sanctuary city, which was something that both Ford brothers voted for back in 2013. I was racking mm. my brain. I'm like, how long ago was that? I had to look it up. So 10 years <laughs> ago, Toronto decided to be a sanctuary city to address just such an issue. The squeeze probably, it's, it's always been bad to some degree in Toronto, mm. but probably not as bad as it is now. And of course, because people became visible and every media outlet was covering the story, things had to happen. Mm-hmm. So how do we get to this point? At the beginning of June, City of Toronto started to refer refugees that would normally be in the Toronto shelter system to the federal programs rather than the municipal system because they're they're slammed. Because of everything that's going on in Toronto, particularly the cost of living, rent, you name it, too damn high. We see over and over. And there's 9,000, I believe there's 9,000 shelter spaces in Toronto, give or take, and they're all full. Mm-hmm. So rapidly evolving story this week it sounds like all three levels who on the weekend were blaming each other the uh, federal immigration minister was like this is a provincial and municipal problem and then doug ford would chime in and say you know they really have to get their act together and then it sounds like olivia chow has taken the reins on this or at least is steering it because it a viable it's it's all temporary this is all band-aid solutions Mm. Starting with the money that is going to come from the feds now that they've said the number kept changing. I heard 100 million, 157, 200 million, 97, not too shabby. But the problem is still space. If the shelter system's full, they need to find space in hotels and other places to accommodate people. And it sounds like a couple of the churches in Toronto have stepped up. And uh, they've been getting some press. One is Revival Time Tabernacle. Another one, Dominion. They're both black churches. Mm-hmm. It took black churches we don't hear very much about to step up. In fact, they're, I wouldn't say they're unknown, but it's a small, smaller community who have stepped in and are putting people up in the uh, in the gymnasiums of their churches. But also one of them, I believe it's Dominion, is finding space for people in the congregation's homes. Mm-hmm. So as to whether, and a couple of leaders from those churches have spoken out too, saying, you know, that this obviously isn't the permanent solution. We're here to help, but, and address all the same problems or issues, because it's not, it's not as if with those steps and getting people off the street, once you're not seeing them anymore, does not mean at all that the problem is gone. Right. Yeah, it's. There was also the the CEO of Paramount Fine Foods, uh, Mohammed Faki, mm-hmm. who um, stepped up with he, he was going to provide twenty thousand dollars for some emergency housing too. And I noticed it was kind of like right after that, after he made that announcement, things started uh, like the wheels, the proverbial wheels started getting greased. So, uh, I mean, I don't know if it was like a cosmic coincidence, but I mean, it also probably doesn't doesn't hurt that it, you know he looks like he got some movement on it at the same time mm-hmm. it looks pretty bad when it takes like a a millionaire businessman to go come in and go oh, i know i will save the day it, it, i mean it doesn't it's not a great look for the canadian government or any level of government um but i i think it's it's kind of galling and i mean i've been seeing a lot of commentary it's like oh canada's not as good as refugees on refugees as it thinks it is and i'm like have we ever because you know you're thinking back to the syrian refugees a lot of that was private initiative as well it's like yeah the government helped 
get the people here but when they landed it was you know there were whole community efforts here in guelph and other places to get people settled to get them a place to live to get them clothes you know winter clothes and uh you know find them amenities find work um it it has always been like a multi-tiered effort and it, it you know it just seemed like the whole system fell apart here that the city says the city of toronto is like well our shelters are full go down to this address and you'll find help from the federal government and I don't like I'm not sure what exactly if this office is specifically meant to deal with asylum seekers and refugee claimants or if it was just like a service Canada outfit, <laughs> which is probably not set up to deal with those things. Oh, I think it's the main uh, office for the for a Toronto, like the uh, let's call it shelter distribution. It's the right. place where you would go. And then because they've been shut out, they just stay put. It's kind of like getting stuck in the airport sort of. Yeah. Where it's like, this is the last stop. I have nowhere to go. There are no supports. Thankfully, people did step up, both community leaders. And like I mentioned, those churches mm-hmm. stepped in and said, okay, we're, we're going to try and, and do something here. So I think that's what was going on. And interestingly, to, I did just this morning, which is Wednesday morning, they were talking about this at Toronto City Council and something that was mentioned by Chow, uh, who uh, is seemingly able to work. She's coming up with agreements. It sounds like she talk to Ford, but she specifically mentioned talking to uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, mm-hmm. saying that you know that it's great that the feds are going to work with us. That was all I heard, but it's all all three levels are involved. I'm not sure how directly involved Doug Ford is, probably sent somebody. But anyway, mm-hmm. one of the suggestions was to set up a an intake at the airport, mm-hmm. similar to what they had when the first wave of Ukrainian refugees came. Right. So that way, right at that point, there can be some sort of let's call it delegations where people can go because 40% of refugee claimants in that come to Canada end up in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And if this, and you know, that's not to say that the load couldn't be spread out. We saw it with uh, Roxham road as well. And, you know, Quebec was c- complaining that they were full. Um, but it's, I, I, I get the impression that most of these people arriving were, had flown in mm-hmm. uh, particularly it seemed to be a strong uh, Africa wide uh, contingent, particularly from the LGBTQ plus community mm-hmm. and that that's, in, that's interesting too in that we we talked about this before about how a lot of uh african countries in africa particularly uganda is one specifically has had a lot of attention mm-hmm. uh, where evangelicals are directly involved in passing laws that are turning people into refugees where normally they wouldn't be because it is illegal to be homosexual among other things mm-hmm. so there's this weird kind of it's fantastic that the churches are helping out, but you know, there's this like, I wonder how that dynamic is going to go. If it's, I'm not sure, you know, how these, the churches lean, but mm. uh, it's, it's, this is an evolving story and that's maybe a bit of a subplot with it, but it's, mm. it's, it's, it's fantastic that they've stepped up. Yeah. But, the, as, yeah. Well, I was just going to say the, the, the distribution problem you mentioned, like so I, I found this out 70% of the 2,400, um, hotel rooms that have been taken out to you know to house refugees and asylum claimants 70 percent of them are in quebec Mm. um and quebec of course has been you know raising a a fuss that you know they have uh they're being their their resources are being taxed and um with, with all the refugee claimants and it's like well 70% 70% of the accommodation or 70% of the funding for accommodation is being taken up by Quebec. Um, so that seems 
it seems like Quebec's getting a lot of help compared to maybe Ontario. But I, I mean, that's neither here nor there because that's like pitting one level against another. I, I think one of the the problems here is um, has been that communication. I also think that there's a level of politics here that oh, yeah. um, nobody's really talking about because you know why does Quebec disproportionately get all this help? From the federal governments for refugee claimants could it be because you know uh there's this strain of uh shall we say anti-immigrant sentiment in quebec um if you know the federal government's giving money to refugees that riles up a very loud contingent of people who don't want to help uh especially refugee like uh, ukrainian refugees of course uh get a pass because of the color of their skin but there are other kinds of refugees who have different color skin who definitely are on the receiving end of a lot of shall we say uh desire to refuse help and i i do wonder if this is trudeau doing some of that characteristic tiptoeing like oh, mm. we'll just we'll just do like we'll we'll give you some quiet help we're just going to try to do it quietly and then uh, that ends up doing nothing because um this number 40, 440%. That's how much, that's how much, you know, claims of asylum have, have gone up since September, 2021. Mm-hmm. So a year and a half, 440%. So, you know, it's no wonder that service levels weren't matching demand. And I think that we have to challenge the the federal government and say like, well, are you worried about, I hate to say it, but, you know, getting on the bad side of all the racists who, you know, don't want to see their tax money, quote unquote, go to refugees. I don't know. I think that's a consideration. Yeah, there's there's definitely some of that. And uh, I mean, I'm going to give Tug Ford a little bit of credit. I don't believe that he's racist. No. But one, one of his comments was he was, you know, kind of parroting Chow, but saying, OK, the feds have to pay, to pay up. Mm-hmm. But he also was talking about. You know, we should get these people work permits mm-hmm. so they're able to work. I mean, how how does he know that they don't have work permits? They're just homeless mm. or unhoused, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's entirely possible that you've done all the paperwork. And I would assume that anybody that was out on Peter Street had done all the paperwork. And then the ball was dropped when it's like you're, you're visibly out on the street just waiting for a place to, to live. I mean, I'm sure a lot of them are perfectly willing to work, but... Doug Ford made all about these 300,000, whatever the mythical job number is that he throws out there all the time. Like, because we need workers. So fair, you know, fair enough. To his credit, it's okay, we need workers, but it's not my responsibility to take it. Housing is a provincial responsibility. It should, it's it's the responsibility to a degree of all levels. Well, it's 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 bootstrap. It's yeah. bootstrap philosophy. And you know that this kind of gets into it tangentially but the the canadian center for policy alternatives this week said you know in a report like you need a minimum wage of 40 dollars per hour to live comfortably in toronto not live well not live high off the hog but to live comfortably in a two-bedroom apartment and have enough money left over that you can get three squares a day and buy some nice clothes and you know maybe enjoy a, a meal out once in a while um and then there was an announcement somewhere where monty mcnaughton was with the premier and they were like how about this report that says you need a 40 dollar like living wage toronto and mm. monty mcnaughton's like 
well, we're, we're, we're trying to fill a lot of these trades positions that paid very well. It's like, okay, well, that's nice. But, you know, is, is that really your solution is like to get everybody into the trades and then they'll have a good, I mean, it, I guess ideally, but I mean, that's, that's like, that's a solution that in its most ideal state is like years in the making and there are people in trouble right now. So yeah, I, I, I agree. I don't think Doug Ford is necessarily ignorant. Well, or let's say racist, but I, I think that he's very much of a a certain type of person who, you know, thinks that uh, not being homeless anymore, not struggling anymore, is a matter of just getting a good job and saving, and you know, not buying that avocado toast and all that kind of stuff. It's it's kind it's it's a it's a kind of ignorance, but it's it's the kind of ignorance that can be unlearned. Let's say, yeah, and trades is an arc, as we know. Speaking mm-hmm. from experience, like mine was five mm-hmm. years, so they would have to start immediately, and then somewhere down the road. So yeah. you're gonna you're just gonna live on the street until you become a full fledged tradesperson during your right. apprenticeship, which you're which you're on uh, uh, unemployment for yeah. for a period of time when you're at school. It's like you know they're just they're just being ridiculous with that. But yeah, and the job I said the jobs number keeps changing, but yeah, like well, you're you're also changing the narrative with that. It's like take care of this immediate issue and then we can worry about yeah the rest of it right one step at a time yeah super immediate need and i don't think this is gonna i think this the cracks are gonna start showing again with this Mm -hmm. because the churches can only take so many people the hotels Mm -hmm. that they've bought space within which Mm -hmm. is is like one of the solutions as well but they've also put an appeal out to the public it's like if if you have any rental space which no one does at least and, you know, there, there'll be people that will try and cash in because like, oh, the government is paying. So like, no, oh, the rent's actually 2,500, right? Yeah. Yeah. Pick a, pick a number because rent control was removed and everything built after 2018. Yeah. And who did that? Yep. Right. Who did yep. that? The Ford government. So anyway, lots well, going on. Multiple layers. We love, we love the layered story, right? It's like a dip. <laughs> dip yeah. In. Yeah. 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 Well, speaking of the crack showing, um, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. <laughs> is... <laughs> Sorry. No, no, it's fine. Totally correct. Uh, is running for president. He's running uh, to become the Democratic nominee, which would require him having to overcome the the incumbent Democratic presidential candidate, which is uh, Joe Biden, uh, the current president of the United States. But uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., for people who don't know, has been he's an environmental lawyer by trade, but he's been more well known as an anti-vaccine or vaccine hesitancy activist for years um he's well ensconced in that vaccines cause autism uh spectrum he went whole hog into covid19 conspiracy theories and um perhaps that's why it took uh sort of a new angle for him to get into real hot water which happened this past weekend at some kind of uh political event he was at in New York, where he said that COVID-19 uh, was targeted to Caucasians and black people so that the Ashkenazi Jews and the Chinese people um, would be spared uh, from the ravages of COVID, which is kind of ridiculous because over a million people in China died from COVID-19, so it didn't do a very good job. Uh, he has walked back those comments to an extent, um, but it's really more in the form of uh, I don't want I'm not, I'm not quoting him exactly here, but he said, like, look, I'm not saying COVID-19 was a bioweapon. I'm saying that it's possible someone might have wanted to use a bioweapon 
and COVID-19 could have been question mark. It's, it's kind of bizarre, but um, what I will, what I will note too, is that uh, for the first time during his presidential run, uh, he finally effed up so bad that uh, his siblings started putting out statements decrying him. So uh, I don't know. I, I don't think this is the end of his presidential run, but on the other hand, something like 20%, like between 15 and 20% of Democrats said that uh, they would consider voting for him in different polls. So, I mean, maybe it'll make those people think differently. I don't know. Super interesting character. <laughs> yeah. F. Kennedy Jr. Now, I mean, his his origins, he comes from conspiracy, right? Mm-hmm. The classic who killed the Kennedys. Mm-hmm. He was he was around when all that happened. So it's like, and he, he's also, he has chimed in on the deaths of his uncle and his father saying yep. that he believed the CIA were behind those murders. Yep. So he comes from a conspiracy background. Now, if you, if you remove the conspiracy aspect from Robert F. Kennedy Jr., he would actually be, dare I say this, a fantastic progressive candidate. His credentials in terms of his being an environmental lawyer and an advocate for the environment. Mm-hmm. But it, it, there's this weird, and I finally had a look at his Twitter, I'd been avoiding it, <laughs> where there'll be one post about, yeah, we need to, you know, food security in communities. It could be a post from anybody, say, in the green part, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, here's this underserviced community and, and, and food safety and security, and we need to get pesticides and corporate involvement. But then there's this this, this other side to him, complete other side where it's, it's total conspiracy land like you said mm-hmm. about vaccines causing autism which has been a, a thing of his for years and years and years and prior to this the family coming out saying you know we we don't agree that he's comparing this to the holocaust it's something that he's done mm-hmm. he's saying vaccines are, are you know people getting autism vaccines is, is a holocaust and his family are like no stop it <laughs> who was it this week was his nephew i guess joe the third joe yeah another yeah. joke well they're all kind of right yeah, I condemn what he said. His sister, what he's saying is deplorable and untruthful. This is the the mighty Kennedy family coming out and saying Uncle Bobby, <laughs> mm-hmm. cousin Bobby, uh, is a little bit of a wild card. Um, but you know, it it's you can see it in who is backing him and who mm-hmm. likes him. Right. Run down the list. Who who says favorable things about Bobby Kennedy Jr. Alex Jones. Mm-hmm. Jordan Peterson, mm-hmm. Russell Brand, mm-hmm. like the classic, the the classic arc of those <laughs> that gang, right? <laughs> so it's it's pretty clear where he's coming from on this stuff. Mm-hmm. But yet, as I said, there was a time where he was like, "Hey, he been on Democracy Now." I just finished reading, um, finally finished reading uh, "This Changes Everything" by Naomi Klein. Right, and there's a bit in there, but just coincidentally. Read it last week, talking about you know his environmental credentials and Clockett Sound, and um, which is you know was a tree battle from thirty years ago. Mm-hmm. So he has this street cred, mm-hmm. but yet then there's this other. Do we call it the darker side or just the wild side or I don't know? Yeah, but it's 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 amazing to watch. Uh, it is amazing to watch. If it weren't so, like he is kind of given credibility. Like there is this cult like thing with people like Musk. And uh, Jones and ben, I mean, he's also, you know, people like Steve Bannon are, are mm-hmm. you know, backing him sort of disingenuously because they want to try and be disruptors and um, 
you know, make it make things as hard for Joe Biden as humanly possible to get reelected again. But there's also a real dangerous streak to Robert F. Kennedy Jr. There's an incident in Samoa in 2019. He goes to Samoa where he uh, teams up with um, an activist there who's like uh, an anti-vax activist. And there was uh, a case in 2018 where two infants died. And there was a conspiracy essentially that the MMR vaccine killed these Mm -hmm. two babies. Um, The MMR vaccine for its measles, mumps, and rubella. So that's uh, one of the shots you get when you're a baby to prevent those illnesses in case um, people are confused. Uh, It turned out the babies were given a muscle relaxant for some reason along with the shot. And it was the muscle relaxant that ended up resulting in the, the fatalities. But by the end of that, like Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is in Samoa telling people not to get vaccinated. And lo and behold, measles outbreak, 70 people dead. Um, the New Zealand, uh, a New Zealand, I think it was a soccer team, goes to Samoa to uh, take part in a tournament. They bring measles back. 600 some odd people in New Zealand get measles. So, you know, this isn't this isn't a guy just talking. This is a guy who's mm-hmm. done actual like harm to communities with his his craziness um and so i mean the 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 other part of this too is um like why he's running for president like i i don't like i don't know what his opinions are about like middle east peace or <laughs> i mean he's also said that joe biden's responsible for the ukraine war so maybe we have some idea about what his foreign policy is going to be but uh, alternatively, like this guy's running for president essentially to get attention because he can't get attention. He knew that running for president, Instagram would have to turn on his Instagram feed again, or Meta would have to turn on his Instagram feed again because they shut him off. YouTube had shut him off. Facebook had shut him off. So, you know, there's a, a bit of disingenuous like uh, this way. It's it, it's it's a grift. Like I'm I'm not sure how much he may be all in to the grift you may 100 percent believe what he says but i mean i there's also a thing here where he knows that the only way he can get attention now is to be a quote-unquote legitimate candidate and here we are but anybody running for president and most things in the states you need money yeah and if you want to talk about a real conspiracy the question would be where is the money coming from that backs robert f kennedy jr yeah We know where Trump's comes from, sort of, but it's all because of the structurally with super PACs in the US, it's kind of like you don't really know where it's coming from, but somebody has to back the horse or they don't they don't reach any level. You just you just cannot get up there with without bucket loads of cash. Yeah. Right. So it's not as if he's this folksy. He he passes himself off as this like some of the some of the videos on his uh, well, Twitter in particular, they have kind of a religious feel to them. It's weird. Yeah, and I, there there is that there can be that essence in in politicking, but American politics in particular, where is this this you know the way the music and the thing is structured that it's like, but of course to produce these things all needs cash to get the message out there needs money, so it's like who who is behind finding out who is behind them, and you can be certain sure that there there's like somehow anti-vax money behind them, and and yeah, you know possible. I was to say possible conspiracy. It's strange, and that like this, <laughs> there's actual shenanigans going on that's that's getting him, or will try and get him to the level that he's he's hoping for, which is present. And like a a Trump Kennedy Jr. showdown, yeah, would be great for us, but I don't think it would be great yeah. for America. It yeah, would, and 
they like it. Trump has said good things about him. Yeah. And did, did he not? I I remember hearing Adam that he would he may have been some kind of consultant on vaccines in the Trump administration. Was that right? Yeah, in the early days. Yeah. Yeah. So it's be- before um before COVID. Before COVID. Yeah, because he's supposedly authority. But as you said, with, with what he's been getting up to all around the world, uh, you know, not not helping. And he also, you know, sticking with that, he wrote a book, a whole book about Fauci. It was a big, long tale. I can't remember what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of the Fauci hate, the fuel for the Fauci hate that we see online mm-hmm. is derived from not just that conspiracy. I'm not sure how much he fueled it, but he sure does. Doesn't like Fauci. You know, Bill Gates is involved ivermectin's good for COVID 19 mm-hmm. but then he'll say oh no i'm being taken out of context like no that's it's pretty clear what you're saying yeah that well, uh and, and conspiracy people inevitably go racist and anti-semitic what is the true test the true mm-hmm. test of conspiracy theories like if it goes to those places bonafide bona fide conspiracy theory full stop yeah, and uh, during the height of COVID, there was a, sort of an analysis done, and it was it, like 90% of the anti-vax conspiracies on Facebook were linked to 10 people, and one of them was Robert F. Kennedy Jr., so it <laughs> shows, goes to show his influence. But uh, we'll have to leave that there for today. We're going to take a quick break and come right back with our interview with Kenny Chu. You are listening to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. And that's from the number 12 album on the CFRU chart this week by Bruce Coburn. Famously played Hillside Festival coming soon to Guelph a couple of times. Saw both, including The Last Century. Woo! Uh, the album's called O oh Sun, O oh Moon, and the song is To Keep the World We Know. Mm-hmm. Um, some of us have already left the world we know, uh, as we discussed in the previous segment. Uh-huh. But uh, that's okay. Um, in terms of the world we know at Guelph City Hall, uh, we have recruited uh, Ward 6 Councillor Ken Yi Chu to come back and tell us about some of the stuff that's happening. Obviously, it's July. Uh, you might think uh, they're slacking down at City Hall. They are not slacking. There's a double meeting last week. There was a double meeting this week. And then there's going to be some uh, pretty busy meeting next week before summer vacation. So we're going to have Ken Yi Chu uh, highlight some of uh, what's going on down in the old. I was going to say, what is that old? It's the old, used to be the rink, used to be Memorial Gardens. Now it's City Hall. How about that? Anyway. Old Garden Street. Yeah. Old Garden Street. It's neither here nor there. Um, we're going to just uh, queue up our interview with Ken Yi Chu and we're going to hit play on that starting right now. Okay, Ken Yi Chu, thank you so much for joining us once again. Thanks for having me, Adam. Uh, 
it's been uh i guess about six months we since we last had you on um you were still you know kind of new uh, i guess you're still kind of new in the grand scheme of things but you know you've had half a year of meetings under your belt so how do you feel that you've uh acclimatized yourself to the business of council you know you even you even chaired a meeting a couple of weeks ago so that's that's no small potatoes yeah they uh call their ceo a debbie downer there <laughs> no that he had that on his back for about a week for what he told me <laughs> but no it's fun um yeah sometimes you have you just have to liven it up a little bit right like i mm-hmm. i get you got there's uh, due process and it's important as well because we're chairing a meeting of council that we, we we be professional but at the same time too like I think it's just a matter of reading the room and just yeah just making sure that you know we're staying on topic and people are being are able to be or felt heard rather um, but yeah I think I'm still gonna play the new card <laughs> I'll still say I'm new I'll do it as long as I can and, uh until we get to the last couple quarters um so yeah when it, be- I, when it becomes uncomfortable i guess so yeah <laughs> or you can call me out on it hey this guy he's been here for a year and a half now so he still doesn't know what he's doing so well let's talk about that for a minute you know what where do you feel like you're still kind of learning the the ropes on things do you feel like there's a particular area of city business where you're still getting getting your like finding your sea legs so to speak yeah no absolutely i think for me it really comes down to understanding the culture like at Mm. city hall and Mm. even within the community as well right uh like i think you quickly realize after how many emails from constituents that you know, you're not the one that driving what can be done, what can't be done, right? Mm-hmm. There's a due process, right, uh, mm-hmm. for everything. And we're representing not only our constituents, but the city as well, right? Like, they call us Guelph City Councilor, not... Well, I guess you can call me a Ward 6 City Councilor, <laughs> but most people would generally consider most of us a Guelph City Councilor. Right. So I think in that respect... Uh, yeah, like it. There's been many times where I've had to be very patient and very tactful, um, and that's kind of been my approach, and it's gonna continue to be my approach to, you know, just offer suggestions for where things can be improved, but at the same time allow staff to have that breathing room so they can make that sober judgment because at the end of the day they are professional, right? And all, everything at this point is delegated to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, yeah, it's really just been about understanding that culture because every municipality does it different. Like some councils are more hands-on, some are some are less. And I think for us, like there's a willingness and eagerness to want to be more hands-on, but at the same time, we're considered part-time. Mm-hmm. So, like, while we can spend a lot of our time, and I, I. I do spend a lot of my time um, like focusing on council. Uh, like we we really can't get into the operations all too much. And I think that's something I've really had to learn to accept because I'm someone that really likes to collaborate and really likes to get in there. But 
you know, I'm not, I'm not at that level anymore. Right. So right. it's, it's been a little hard to be honest <laughs> with you, but at the same time, it's humbling as well. Cause it requires a lot of trust, right. Uh, in the process and trust in our staff and like you, ha you have no choice, but to trust them. Right. Um, regardless of personal opinions. Mm. So I think that's something that I would love, like to help people recognize as well. Like how does the process actually work and yeah, where can we apply some pressure or an accountability? And where can we just sit back and just chill out, right? Because I think that's <laughs> what we need to do sometimes. Just just like take a deep breath and just re recognize, hey, like, you know, one day you're going to get your get that crossing, right? And one day it is going to be enhanced, right, to the standards right. in which, you know, our our staff uh, desire it to be, but we are all working with finite resources at the same mm. time. So like, I think that's something as well that I need, to, I had to recognize that a lot of the conversations that I had with my constituents, um, they were very aspirational. They were, were very hope driven. Mm -hmm. um, so is there a way in which we can kind of land the plane and help people recognize what are some areas in which we can work on um, and what are some things in which we need to take a set, like a second uh, sober thought, right? I think just to be completely honest, right? Like that's kind of how it is, right? Well, that's uh, a, that's a good place to sort of lead to this, this next section I wanted to ask you about. There was the, the workshop meeting last week about housing. Um, Mayor Guthrie said it was essentially to, you know, so that everyone's, I guess, working from the same textbook, so to speak, uh, on the housing issue. But I mean, this is another issue where, as you're saying, the city's trying to get its head around it. The process doesn't move as fast as people like, but I'm sure you're hearing this all the time about um, a lack of affordable housing, people who are worried about their rents going up, people who are worried about you know, being renovated and then struggling to find a place to live on the open market. And how, how are you reconciling like those very disparate circumstances that uh, on this, everybody calls it a crisis, but um, you know, we, we kind of have two speeds about it right now. There, there's this, the speed that people out in the community are feeling and the speed that the, the city is taking because tackling the crisis is, tackling a crisis like this is something that's kind of new and there are multiple pressures uh, along with that too. That's a yeah, lot I, I know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think first of all, like just on a personal level, like I, I am a renter. I, I recently out of school. Uh, well, I'm technically still in school part time. <laughs> right. I don't know what I am at this point. Yeah. You know, but <laughs> I am in that generation where it is like home ownership and like just the attainability of it seems kind of like a pipe dream right. at the moment. Um, you know, a lot of uh, my friends and people that I know who want to get into the market, like they can't do it without the help of their parents, right? Like that's the reality. Right. And not everyone is as privileged as uh, maybe some of my friends are. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm certainly not in that position as well. So, mm -hmm. like I see the need and that and um, like all we can do is try to close the gap, right? Because I don't think this is an issue that will ever 
be solved uh, just with any policy proposal or any ch change in government. Um, although people are looking to us as leaders to strike the right tone and balance and how we go about assessing the situation. And I do think we need to kind of take a step back and recognize as well, like what are areas in which we have direct influence. Mm -hmm. So for us, that really comes down to approvals and better customer service, right? Like I really see the city as a customer service provider first and foremost. Mm. Um, like I come at it from the planning side of things and my dad, he's a bu building professional, you know, so he works with the city all the time and he has great relationships with many, many municipalities and with their staff. And that's how you get things done, right? Like, it's just as simple as that. Like, okay, you come in for building approval. Um, you tell, you, you kind of look at the opportunities and constraints with the site. And, right, you both come, to the, the plan checker and the building official and the, and the applicant, you work out some kind of common ground, right, for where to, where where you want the project to move mm. and then you know you make sure you, on on the applicant side you make the changes you make sure the design is not only ad adhering to building code but it also suggests that you are taking the extra step as a designer to make the quality a bit better right like mm. these days we're really, we're talking about uh air tightness right because mm. we're talking like that's one way in which we can uh, tackle climate change, for example, right? We we talk about climate change on such a high level, but right. sometimes people don't realize what that means, right? And I think a lot of it comes down to building efficiency. And there are very simple interventions in which you can do as a designer to make your building a little bit more uh, uh, airtight, right? And that can even calm down a cost savings. So. It's, it's, I think the devil's in the details, right? So I think going back to my original point, like the applicant and the the, the city, the, like whether it's on the building approvals or development side, like we all have to work together. Like it's just as simple as that at a high level. Like I don't know what else to say, but yeah, let's work together, right? Like, right. Um, like we have to try to encourage that collaborative nature and uh, a culture and I think that's what we need to do first and that's where we can have influence and for me like i you probably notice i don't really talk much at these meet at the council meetings i like to sit and discern and just be a little bit more of a listener yeah um yes yeah, so i i'm trying to listen i'm trying to understand in this context that we're living in in guelph what are the actual like needs right and uh areas of attention that we as a po political body could uh spend some energy on and um i do think we there are areas within our process that can be improved um mm. if i'm to speak candidly um i do i did also mention at the workshop i don't think it was caught uh, by the media but i would love to sit down with some of the, the stakeholders right that um are going to be developing our future lands like it's i think it's important to put a face to a name right instead of mm. 
you know, hide behind a, a screen, for example, right? Because you 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 build up false perceptions of people, and based off of past history, um, and we can't do that, right? Like it just puts us in a logjam, um, mm-hmm. and like the way in which you set the tone from the top does matter as well, right? Um, right. So yeah, we need to start talking to each other again. Like I I don't have nearly as much history as most people do the institutional history and knowledge of how things are and why things are the way they are like why do we have a couple like a a dozen appeals on Claire Maltby and why right why is Claire Maltby the way it is right like I don't know the details of that and like I do have an awareness yeah so I think there is opportunity as well like for me and maybe to speak on behalf of some of the new folks on council like we do have an opportunity to reset relationships and that's what we need. Um, so yeah, it is all about relationships. At the, so to answer your question um, and that's kind of <laughs> where I would leave the answer uh, for now. Well, you, I, I did make a note that you had said that. Um, I, I think that what, what you're kind of getting at is that, and it's a point I've made too, that, you know, we hear from the activists all the time because that's their job is to raise awareness. We hear from council all the time because you're there once a week making decisions. What we don't hear from are the developers who then go and, you know, make those appeals. And I, I think staff left the question out there uh, at, at the meeting last week. Just, you know, you do three years of engagement and, you know, developers get a little bit more engagement than you know, the, the regular folk, you know, cause they're stakeholders. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, what is it like you get to the end of a process and then they go and appeal, whether that's Claire Malpe, whether that's the, the zoning bylaw, there does seem to be something missing in the equation that they need to answer for. Yeah. And I, I think it goes both ways as well. Mm. Uh, like, for for folks like you and me, we will never be able to understand the nuances of those individual conversations that were had. Um, yeah. <laughs> so we will never know the full story, right? Uh, I do not understand the intricacies of developing yeah. 300 acres of land. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't either. Right. Like that's, that's not my purview, right? Mm. Like I have suggestions on how we can improve the process, right? But it it comes down to the relationships, right? Like a developer may feel convicted to appeal, right? Mm-hmm. And we may it may be easy for us to conclude, yeah, they would like more density, right? Like they would like to have less parkland, right? Like we, we can assume all, all these things. We can assume as well that they may be greedy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but where's that getting us? Is that really getting us anywhere, right? right like if right, anything, right. that's compromising a lot of the credibility in our 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 thought process right um right so i i like to try to give people the benefit of the doubt right um and i don't think we and there are ways in which we can keep these conversations even at a political level professional and i think we 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 desperately need that especially here in guelph right because we are working with a, a finite pool of, de- of developers. We have finite land. Right. And we as a city have finite resources. So anytime right. we get our staff to do something, like that takes a lot of human resources, right? 
Like even to write a simple staff report, like that takes a lot of time, right? Mm -hmm. Just to make sure the wording is right, that you're, that you're, you're being calculated in, in, in how you're uh, putting forward information. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we need to just recognize it's not as simple as just let's build a park. Let's not build a park. Let's, let's let's make sure that density is a little lower let's make it make it higher um, right so i'm i'm trying to figure out as well like for myself like how do i play a role in facilitating these conversations and uh, that's something i've been actively thinking about right because uh, mm-hmm. you recognize at this point um people put you here because they want to hear you talk they're not here because they want to see you be the administrator administrator right uh, like right. our deputy ceos are right so yeah and i'm, I'm not usually that vocal i'm not i'm not act, like i don't have an activist nature in me but i do <laughs> i do have like a strong sense of what can be done better and what what shouldn't be done right um that kind of guides me and mm-hmm. yeah like we'll see where that takes me whether people like me or not like a uh, a year or two from now, if I say something controversial, but we'll we'll have to see, right? Uh, we will know. have to see. Um, yeah. I want to do a little lightning round um, before we run out of time on some of these other things. And some of these are coming up uh, next week. Um, first, e-scooters. Uh, I think staff have said it's okay for them to be used on some of the multi-use paths. Um, how, how are you feeling about e-scooter bylaw and, and how like how quick does this all come together are you feeling good that it's that we're going to make this work i i think so i think staff are just a little bit uh anxious because they haven't had the time mm. to do a lot of the research and development before putting together a draft of the bylaw mm. um because we are trying to catch on to that provincial um that provincial what's the I word like- pilot pilot yes <laughs> oh, sorry it's all right <laughs> sometimes i forget words so yeah, yeah we were trying say. to catch on to that pilot so <laughs> it, it's I, I don't know like I, I understand where the staff our staff are coming from like they prefer if we waited till the pilot ended yeah but i do think like there is a push from the community where like yeah let's just let's start to normalize micro mobility here in the city right yeah. let's not be so like i guess i guess we let, let's not be too ca- cautious right um, right but like you got to understand as well from like the staff's perspective like we have to account for every like legal and liability right uh, perspective well I'm gonna... I, w- I would support it right like uh, okay here to ask me <laughs> yeah. very good um I'm going to combine a couple of things here. I know that there's a group just kind of south of you in Pusslinch that are trying to raise concerns about the traffic on on uh, Maltby Road. Uh, it's going too fast, going to too much, like rap- rapid increases in the traffic levels too. There's also this potential bylaw review coming back about the use of noise cameras. Um, and that speaks, that's, that's, that's a kind of traffic calming too. So, um, is this something that you are hearing a lot about the uh, the concern about uh, traffic and uh, more traffic and faster traffic in the South end? Yeah. I mean, Gordon street is 
not going to get any faster. Mm. Like that, that <laughs> is the reality of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a hard conversation to have with people, especially when I was knocking on doors. Mm. Like, I, I don't think that's something that people are necessarily complaining about. What they want to see is how are we being efficient with our resources? So making sure like the signalization is being timed correctly. Like right. those are things that people actually pick up on, especially if you live here for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's just about making sure the communication is clear on what the city is doing and what they're not doing in terms of traffic calming, road safety, noise cameras. I think that's something worthwhile to look into, but I would, I would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put my hopes in it uh, too much too yet uh, too soon because again we don't know any comparator municipalities that do it right like this isn't normalized right like you also start to get into a lot of other considerations as well like privacy is a good one right like Mm. are these cameras able to hear us like (laughs) obviously probably not right but you can see how the conversation, at least from a community public level, can just explode, right? Especially right. if you put that thing on Twitter, on Reddit, like that mm-hmm. can, that thing can go a million places, right? So, <laughs> as you and I are probably aware, yeah. So, yeah. anyways, yeah, I think we have to be careful, but I don't see why we can't look into it. And I think that's kind of what um, when my uh, counselor Galler has has asked, right? Like, hey, yeah. look, can we just consider it? But yeah. Yeah, I don't. I, I think we're most of us on council were okay with that, but I wouldn't push too hard on having it something implemented, right? Because we don't even right. know what that what that even looks like, right? Right. You ask uh, Doug Godfrey, right, our, our our general manager. He he'd probably like be up at night, right, just trying to think, <laughs> yeah. how am I gonna get my guys to enforce this thing, right? So, um, yeah, yeah, a lot of lot of unanswered questions still, but yeah, uh, so I guess that's where. Well, I'm trying to get at. Yeah, we have, but, we have no idea what this means, right? Right. So, uh, well, all the other questions, I'm afraid, will have to remain unanswered at least for now. So, Ken Yi Chu, thank you so much for uh, lending your insights today. It's appreciated. Yeah, thanks for your time. And once again, that was Ken Yi Chu, and uh, City Council rises after next Tuesday's meeting, and then. Uh, we won't have anything to talk about till September, at least city council by speaking. So what? Uh, enjoy it while you can. Yeah, they take August off. Well, that's good. I'm hoping that they take the occasion to like finally like they've gotten all the components to finish setting up the the A V stuff in the council chambers. Like they got two big TVs on either side of the room that are never on because they didn't have the connections when they when they finished last fall. But table was backordered. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Scott, you know, Scott, he knows all about backordered cable. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. You could stay connected to us at our website, opensourcesguelph.com. You can find us on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire, and we're on Twitter still at OS underscore Guelph. If you would like to listen to our show again, you can download it from our website every Monday, get it at the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or through your favorite app like Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson or check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And I'm Scotty Hertz on Twitter, Mastodon, and Facebook. And if you're joining us at a regular time on the FM, please stay tuned for the great 
Turtle Island Underground. Yes, indeed. That is one of the many great programs that you'll hear on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. As for this great program, we shall return next Thursday at 5 p.m. for another edition of Open Sources, and we will see you then.